When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The B-Sides, a podcast for progressives who love pop music. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah. I'm Mimi. And I'm Becky. Tune in for new episodes every other Wednesday to hear our conversations on pop's place in our world. And the music you should put in your ears to fuel your reckoning with the trash fires all around us. Thanks for tuning in. Here we go. Hello and welcome to The B-Sides. What's up? Hello. Hey. (laughs) And we are a podcast for people who spend way too much emotional energy on pop music celebrities and just thinking about pop music. And we are so glad that you're here. Before we get started on today's topic, just want to let you know to subscribe if you haven't already. We come out every other Wednesday. Subscribing makes it way easier to keep up and open the description of this episode to find other ways that you can join our internet home. Like on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. We're still trying to get that Twitter following up. And also TikTok. We have a great TikTok, humble brag. Hannah here went semi-viral. So you got to keep up because you want to be ahead of the curve for the next time that she goes viral again. That was so scary that now I have no more ideas about TikTok. Like I used to have a bunch of ideas on a whiteboard for TikToks. And since it since people actually watch that TikTok, I now have my whiteboard is empty. I have stage fright suddenly. <laughs> so yeah, follow us on TikTok. I can't promise you I'll, I'll, I'll give you anything anytime soon, but you should. There's, plenty, there's <laughs> plenty of content to be had. There is. There. And if you have any ideas, you know, shoot us a note. Hannah is a great writer and actor, but also could just be an actor. So I Love would know that. We went to art scam together, so I can confirm. She's like, can confirm. <laughs> Great. Um, speaking of arts camp, I am currently in the midst of what we call the biggest male chorus in the world, which is all of the cicadas who are like actually fully out here right now. Um, I think I mentioned them last time we recorded, but now it's like a completely other level. And I just want to document that on a hot mic for posterity because they'll be gone at the end of the month or so I'm told um like you want to go out like your window right now is that what you're saying no I'm documenting them on the hot mic I'm saying like as of recording they are a terror but if you want me to make a tiktok about them I I thought you meant like, you're going to take your mic right now, like go to the window and record this on our podcast. I see. I see that. Okay. I see how that was confusing. It's just an hour of cicada sounds. (laughs) Some people like them and I'm like, all right, good for you. Um, But one landed near me the other day and actually just started screaming, which I've never like experienced before right next to me. Um, And I relate to it. So the end back to arts camp back to today's well speaking of cicadas 
we're going to be talking about uh, some stuff that is generated in the South. So, and it doesn't come out every 17 years. I, I would say it's timeless. We're going to be talking about country and country pop music, a genre that for many was once and maybe still is take, isn't taken serious, seriously as good or welcome or authentic music. I felt for years that I had to hide my love for some country artists because they're quickly labeled as bad or not talented. Some who are quick to dismiss country music say the lyrics are predictable, like rotating around words like and themes like girls, trucks, liquor, and Jesus. And then others complain that country, melodically, the songs are boring and repetitive. Most country songs are made from the seventh dominant guitar chords. Mimi maybe can tell us some more about that. That's what I learned well, doing some quick searches and all that. And I think a little inherent classism too makes country and country pop a no-go for many. So on today's episode, we're hoping we're going to debunk some of these views and learn about how a few contemporary country pop stars who are breaking that honky-tonk mold. But first, let's take a quick break. The B-Sides is brought to you by Chuan Skincare. Chuan Skincare is an affordable, handcrafted skincare line made from all natural ingredients. We are delighted to be partnering with Chuan Skincare again and their founder, Ada. All of Ada's products are vegan and cruelty-free. They use organic ingredients and there are no artificial or chemical fillers, additives, or preservatives, or fragrances. She's super transparent, loves to dispel skincare myths, and recognizes that the beauty and wellness industry is not diverse, inclusive, or representative. She donates 5% of sales and 100% of tips to social justice organizations. She pays her beta testers for their time and labor and makes sure her content represents diverse customers. Chuan Skincare's main products are the Signature Clay Mask, which I've talked about before in the last episode about this, and the powder cleansers. Now, the powder cleansers I've been using, they are made from five nourishing ingredients. They're also gentle and they're travel friendly and they're better for the environment than a foaming or gel cleanser. And I have to say, I've been using the the cleanser and it smells so good because it smells like like food. Like it smells like, like kind of like a baked good. Ada, we should talk. I want to know what these five ingredients are in more depth because I want to know which of them is what makes it smell so good. And then the next day I wake up and I feel super, super glowy. So the powder cleansers are really fun. Yeah, that's great. All right. So you can try Chuan skincare products by going to chuanskincare.com and using the offer code B-SIDES, B-S-I-D-E-S, for 15% off your purchase. And this is the last time we are going to tell you about Chuan Skincare for the foreseeable future. So if you were curious to try it, but you needed a reminder, pause this episode, get your booty to chuanskincare.com and treat yourself. Again, that's C-H-U-A-N skincare.com code B-S-I-D-E-S. And we're back. So to understand why country pop is so complicated, let's take a brief, a brief history tour of country music thanks to Becky's research. So according to liveabout.com, 
The origins of country music can be found in the recordings of Southern Appalachian fiddle players made in the late 1910s. It wasn't until the early 20s, however, that country music as a viable recorded genre took hold. The first commercial country record was made by Eck Robertson in 1922 on the Victor Records label. Vernon Dahlhart had the first national country hit in 1924 with Wreck of the Old 97. But most historians point to 1927 the year Victor Records signed Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family as the true moment that country music was born. I also have to say as a side note, um, the podcast that we talked about a few times in this episode on this on this podcast called You're Wrong About did an amazing episode about the chicks. And it was amazing. And part of it did a little bit of like a country music overview. So if you're liking this content, head over to You're Wrong About because I learned a lot on that too. So we mentioned, we mentioned this Jimmy, Jimmy fella. Jimmy was a huge commercial success, paving the way for other bluegrass male singers like Bill Monroe and Bill Mills. And at the same time, cowboy Western films were booming at the box office and selling out their accompanying soundtracks. And in the early 1940s, in addition to bluegrass, Honky Tonk was born. Oh, yeah. This is an aside of when I was in Nashville, um, which was the most fun 36 hours of my life. Honky Tonk country is still everywhere. It's like a ragtime style piano sound, but also the name of a famous bar with live music. And that's sort of like what Honky Tonk like vibe is. And this started with Hank Williams, Ernest Tubb and many more. Okay, so a decade or so later, fed up with the perceived quote-unquote selling out of most country performers in Nashville, a number of frustrated and independent-minded artists decided in the mid-70s they would no longer follow the rules of Music City's establishment. So out of this comes well-known artists like Willie Nelson, his good friend and frequent collaborator Waylon Jennings, Merrill Haggard, David Allen Coe, and a host of other quote-unquote outlaws who burned their leisure suits, grew out their beers and hair, and drastically changed country music. Drastic, but for the better, some would say. Um, have either of you been to Austin ever? I've been. Have you Have you been to the um, Willie Nelson mural? I don't think so. I only went to the LBJ house four times. Or <laughs> Lady Bird Lake, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, that's great. Uh, I, well, I, I was there and I like stumbled upon the mural and it was beautiful. And for a second I was like, who is that? And then I knew, I knew not to ask that question out loud. Um, okay. So enter known ex Scientologist, John Travolta in 1979, his movie urban cowboy commercialized this easy listening to country pop music. Dolly Parton saw her music climb the pop charts instead of the country charts. And that happened for, for the very first time. Um, and then other artists caught on, including Willie Nelson and Juice Newton, who found a lot of success on the pop charts. And at the same time, we, the collective we, saw traditional country artists turning to the rock and roll charts. So in the aftermath of the Beatles and all of the British, the British invasion of it all, many country stars were looking for their footing outside of Nashville. Um, all of these big names now, like Bob Dylan, 
bands like the Eagles, the Allman Brothers, the Birds, all of them sort of flourished in this new environment. So as we were thinking about this, you know, it struck me that there really is a fine line between like country and folk because those both words describe like very, very rich traditions that are distinct, but very closely related. Same with like bluegrass. And so it was just interesting to me to see in this history, us talk about, you know, the Eagles, you know, Bob Dylan and the birds, like those are people that I really associate with kind of the rock and the folk elements. And I think it's just a reminder that genres are, they are like genre names are descriptors of music, but really who they are useful are the industries who are trying to sell a sound and a vibe. Like that's who genre titles are really designed for. And that's why it can feel so limiting and like so collapse collapsing for lack of a better term. Yeah. It's like, that's a great point. It's like a marketing strategy, but the actual music is, and the history and the people who make it are much more fluid in what they're actually doing. Yeah. And I think with country, especially too, we'll talk about this when we talk about current, um, current singers is like, there is a blend and like Bob Dylan's early stuff is like very country, like has a very country feel and it's probably the fiddle or maybe he didn't use the fiddle, but it's probably an instrument that he used. Yeah. And what's weird about like talking about genres is, uh, you know, a lot of what the music industry is trying to do when it decides that certain things are in certain genres is look forward, which is fine. It's allowed, but the way that the history of music is, is it's very much drawing on musicians are always drawing on other traditions. They're always drawing on what came before. And so to be able to, to feel like you're forced to say, you know, is this thing country or folk or now more modern, you know, is this pop or country? It's just not, it's not actually descriptive of reality, which is that things are mushy and that's okay. Yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely talk about that too. Um, one thing also that I think is that impacted how country has also expanded sort of what you're talking about is by the 1990s FM radio expanded to many rural towns, pushing country music into more folks' ears. And so country was climbing thanks to one man and one man only. And that is our dear Garth Brooks. Um, Garth single-handedly mainstreams this quote unquote, like regular country on the charts and on the radio and with him, came our other dear friends, Tim McGraw, Kenny Chasney, and Toby Keith. So I think when you think of like, at least for me, like current, like country, it's like definitely Garth Brooks and Kenny Chasney. And the 90s though also saw a boost of dozens of uh, female country singers. Shania Twain became the best-selling female country singer of the decade. Um, I think there's some Shania Twain eraser, erasure when we think of the 90s and we think of country. Perhaps we should focus on her for another time. Um, or even she, like when we talk about like '90s pop stars, we don't talk about Shania enough. She was a pop star in her own special way, like in certainly was. her reach, right? She wore a cowboy hat, so I think that made her considered country. <laughs> Maybe that's what classified her. I mean, she'd kill her mainstream prowess and international success, which many credit to how her songs blended both pop and rock. So, of course, like you could also say is that like country wasn't couldn't be considered mainstream, so they had to blend it with something else to make it be acceptable for other people to listen to. And this is also 
when we see the Dixie, the, the chicks skyrocket into commercial success, but you'll have to listen to our other podcast, episode 21, to learn more about that, uh, where we talk about the chicks at length. Which brings us to today, country music, especially country pop, I would say it's pretty mainstream. Country music has their own high-profile music awards. We've seen many collabs between prototypical country stars with big-name pop stars. The one that came to mind for me was the Chicks and Beyonce, but I'm sure you guys also can think of a few more. And like, for fuck's sake, Taylor Swift is arguably one of the most famous people in the world, and she started out as a pure country star and went back to her roots sonically with folklore and evermore in this past year. And Carrie Underwood won American Idol and many other Idol winners are country artists showing that, I mean, it shows a lot of things. It also shows that perhaps Southern listeners are the ones who vote on American Idol. But nonetheless, uh, country music has grown and so has pop music with it. And they sort of blended. Just an aside, a recent study that I saw of the 500 top country songs from 20. 14, 2018 show that only 16% were performed by women, which is awful and not what I think about when I listen to country is I listen to a lot of women country singers. Although I will say I do like Luke Bryan. Um, uh, so I do listen to him and Luke Combs. He's got some, he's got some good romantic songs, but do you guys listen to country? Why or why not? Yeah, I never listen to country enough. Um, as we'll talk about, I guess, what this episode is kind of touching on, I definitely listen to country that crosses over, you know, like into pop music. Um, I loved and still love Shania Twain, although it seems like her political views are a little bit misaligned with mine. And the chicks, um, Shania Twain and the chicks growing up were like really important to me. And then I also have a few country artists that I listened to as a kid and got really attached to because my mom was really into into these into these artists, um, specifically Lyle Lovett and Alison Krauss. I like love Lyle Lovett so much. Um, and yeah, growing up, I listened to a lot of like bluegrass and that sometimes was country. But it was like my mom really wanted us to listen to bluegrass and go to like bluegrass festivals. And then also country pop, I think, is how I would describe specifically why my family had um, the, you know, just the Chicks albums always on repeat. And but what I didn't do and what I haven't done so much um, even now is like listen to country radio, listen to pure country sound, like go out of my way to search for country music. Um you know, usually people have to DM me on Instagram and tell me to listen to a country song. And then I do, and I love it. I just like forget to proactively listen. It's funny though, Hannah, because you are one of the biggest Taylor Swift fans and her early stuff is like, it's pretty country. Totally. And I, and I like absolutely love it. So it makes me wonder who, like, what are all, I mean, all of you can tell me all our listeners can tell me like, if I like, you know, Taylor Swift's um, first album, you know, people should recommend the other countries, the other country albums that I'm sure I'm missing because I didn't listen to it because they weren't by Taylor Swift. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I didn't really listen to country until college. And even now, sort of like Hannah, I, I find my way back to it through pop crossovers. Um, I'm definitely not an expert on country. 
but I have always, even before I actively listened to it, like I was always willing to take up for the country and rap in the like shameful everything, but rap and country dichotomy that a lot of people have used to explain their taste in music for a long time, especially while we were growing up. I feel like that was a big thing. Um, and so, yeah, I just don't really, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a history behind that, but like, I just don't really get it because I do think listening to good country music feels so good. And I'm fascinated by how polarizing it can be as a genre from people on the outside, but also like within the genre itself, the sort of like wars that go on. Um, are interested. And again, I'm not an expert, but just from what I've seen, you know? Um, so yeah. And we're going to talk about a lot of great people here, but I just will also say that the, yeah, the statistic you shared, Becky was like, you know, it's startling. It's not shocking, but it is like, yikes. Um, but I do love Darius Rucker and I do also love Sam Hunt. And I don't know that he counts but maybe he does. He's definitely like pop. He counts. Country. Yeah. All right. He counts. Um, but yeah. I've cheated and I've lied. <laughs> uh, okay, he's great. moving on. He's, he's so good at the, he's so good at like the talking portions as well. You know, yes. not he's everyone can do that. He's a poet. Yeah. Poet country. Yeah. So if the top country songs recently were only, you know, 16% of them were, were created and sung by women, let's meet some of those women who embody countries changing identity. And of course, of course, we have to start with Casey. Miss Casey Musgraves, who is one of the only albums I own on vinyl, except for Folklore, which I bought and it skips every song which is so upsetting but that's different but putting on golden hour no skips so beautiful absolutely cannot recommend that vibe enough for a saturday morning so let's go back casey began writing songs at the age of eight she learned guitar at 12 years old she performed at local music festivals she was out and about she and her friend alinta tatum were a child country music duo called texas two bits which is adorable They were so successful and cute that they earned an invite to the hottest event of 2001, uh, George Bush's inauguration, LOL, um, in 2000, I guess. And her sister took her album photo and like her parents flyered for them. Like they were totally, it was a family business and they self-funded her first album at the age of 14. Iconic. Here we are again at the dawn of the new millennium. Okay. So a few years later, so she was, she was discovered in Austin shortly after moving there at age 18 and she recorded acoustic covers of other pop songs, such as see you again, if you are familiar Um, in 2012, she toured with lady a back when that was like a thing to do. Um, And she released her first solo debut single, Merry Go Round, and later, Follow Your Arrow, which is an incredible song, and there will be more on that later. Um, she was nominated for four Grammys that year. 
she won best country song and best country album and she then went on to join Katy Perry on tour and this was also at a time when touring with Katy Perry was like the best thing you could do for your career you know that early early 2010s that that was the time um then Casey you know as many artists do went on to headline her own tour she released a Christmas album and probably the album you know her for because it was so good and so successful like Hannah said 2018's golden hour yeah and Casey is a trailblazer in a lot of ways but as I was writing this um, I was going to focus on what Casey's done for the queer community which it is a lot but I also I'm like fuck that there's also so many great queer country artists which we'll get to in a little bit but in her song uh, follow your arrow she sings roll up a joint or two or sorry it's not what she says she says, roll up a joint or don't kiss lots of boys or kiss lots of girls if that's what you're into, which is not a typical country hit song lyric. It's normally like, I'm going to kiss this girl in the back of my truck and then ask her father to marry me, uh, which led her to being censored when she sang it at the Country Music Association Award. But she didn't care. She replied, you know, honestly, to me, follow your arrow is just a really positive anthem just encouraging people of all kinds to do whatever makes them happy. And like, this is frankly a a huge deal, which is sad that we're in like what, six years ago when she did this, but the country world, which for years and still currently does cater to traditional conservative audience. And even though many, many country listeners are not conservative and many country listeners don't, and many country listeners hold marginalized identities, the country music establishment in many ways privileges the comfort and belief system of their conservative listeners by not letting their artists like perform or even suggest that they are gay people yeah absolutely and I have one more thing to say about merry-go-round because I was looking at um a 2013 article from entertainment weekly and like possibly the most 2013 line which is that Casey Musgraves becomes the Katniss Everdeen of Nashville like I don't think anyone would say that now But basically, it was about how um, that album, same trailer, different park, and Merry Go Round before Follow Your Arrow, which became an even bigger success, like you were saying, Becky, um, that it became a rallying point for country fans who were unhappy with the current direction of country music and the increasingly male-dominated market. Um, And so, you know, clearly there's going to be a backlash to that as there was Katniss Everdeen is not a comparison I've heard in a long time that's been that's been a minute so Casey is redefining country music as a genre that not only includes a queer audience but welcomes them with open arms it's not just saying okay maybe a few of the listeners of this song are queer but we're not going to talk about it it's like centering them in so many ways and in the new york times in 2016 writer john caramonica uh noted about casey he says this is miss musgrave's rebellion polite knowing, exuding a we've all been there embrace as country's mainstream has become more distance from its heritage Miss Musgraves has somehow become both the keeper of the genre's old rules and also its leading internal dissenter. I love that quote. I feel like people who know country music really, really well would actually push back on his 
insistence that the old rules are antithetical to what Casey is doing here because I actually think like OG country music songs and writers were were quite progressive, quite radical. But that's an aside. Yeah, so, I mean, I think I think yeah. uh, I think Dolly Parton was quite radical and progressive, and we learned about that too. Yeah. That also, Casey wouldn't exist if Dolly didn't exist. Totally, hundred percent. Absolutely. And, you know, so as Becky was mentioning, like Casey's doing a lot as a white, as a white cis hetero woman on the country world, which is like actually quite uh, rare in a lot of ways to even be so successful in the country world. But we have to mention, of course, that there are queer artists who are doing this work as well and are amazing. And those include Brandi Carlisle, Lil Nas X, Jamie Wyatt, Cody Allen, Brooke Eden, and more. Totally. And I totally agree that that a lot of its roots are very progressive and that, in fact, some of the like culture wars, I guess, I don't know if I love that term, taking place within the genre are a result of that, like a result of country music. Like, what is it? What is it going to be about? Not that it needs to be about one thing, but the, the, the type of music people are trying to make and why there's sort of um, some big divisions there. Okay, so Brooke Eden, for example, going back to what we're talking about with, um, you know, people today sort of pushing uh, progressive values forward and, and creating more representation in uh, the mainstream genre. Brooke Eden was told to keep her relationship with a woman secret so as not to upset her conservative fans. And then five years later, she released a music video with her girlfriend starring as her love interest. Um, and earlier this year, Brooke Eden noted in the Washington Post, quote, I think the more progressive we get, the more listenership we will have as a genre. And I also think that just as we move forward as a world, the only way that we can move forward is with love and hating love is not an option these days. It's a beautiful sentiment. So, you know, we, we thank Casey for doing her part as not queer person. And we also thank um, the actual queer folks in the country world for um, taking those steps forward as well. Does anyone else like still kind of tear up when you listen to Follow Your Arrow? <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful song. Oh, it gets me. It's so uh, good. And there are a lot of ways to like, I don't know. There there are a lot of like memes that you can, that people like created around it that were still like also kind of touching, not just like reducing it or whatever. Anyway. K- Casey's voice is just so delicate. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just so soothing, her music. So as she pushes for queerness and LGBTQ representation in the country world, Mickey Guyton fights for representation. And you may recognize uh, Mickey's name, even if you're not attuned to the country world, because she was nominated for a Grammy this past year for Best Country Vocalist. And she was the first ever Black female country artist to receive a nomination in this category. Yes, that was 2021. So just let that sink in, which is nuts, but not shocking when you know America's racist history as well as country's deep allegiance to whiteness. And according to a study done by 
Dr. Jada Watson called redlining in country music, representation in the country music industry from 2000 to 2020, including crossover artists, only 2.7% of country radio airplay over the past two decades were songs by BIPOC women. So knowing that it's nearly impossible for any country artists of color to even break through and don't say they don't exist. And that's why there are so few in the air because we know that's not true. When songs don't get played on the radio, they have a small chance of ever reaching the billboard top charts, further stifling black artists from ever even getting a record deal. This is just, yeah, this is really startling. Again, it's like not surprising, but it's just a reminder that like research is awesome and data is important. So shout out to all the data researchers out there. And as Watson's data showed, BIPOC artists, like in terms of percentage of songs played, of airplay, of charting songs, of artists signed to major labels and award nominations, all of those things, BIPOC artists still comprise less than 4% of the commercial country music industry. So knowing all of this, it makes Mickey's rise, sadly, quite extraordinary. Mickey grew up in Arlington, Texas. She was forced to attend private school because the white people in her town feared black kids in public school. She continued to sing throughout this, performing at churches throughout Texas. And she would later say that she was inspired by Leanne Rimes singing the Star Spangled Banner at a Texas Rangers game. So, I mean, that, that relates to this Star Spangled episode of our pod. It's inspiring. We hate to see it, but we can't fight it. You said you can't fight it. And like Leanne Rimes also says she can't fight the moonlight. Oh, got it. See, it's all coming together. Okay. So after graduation, Mickey moved to LA and actually auditioned for American Idol. And she made it to the top 24, which is a big deal, you would think. But if you had watched that season which you may have, I don't know. I don't know your life. They cut her out of the entire show. So you wouldn't have even known that you never would have seen her. And then shortly after that, she met Julian Raymond who encouraged her to move to Nashville. And there she says she was told to quote, make sure your songs are really country because listeners might think you're disingenuous. So radio DJs told her to keep it light and fluffy. And these critiques, for obvious reasons, caused her a lot of stress and even delayed her album release. So in 2015, her debut single, Better Than You Left Me, at first performed really well, but it eventually stalled on the charts. Um, And then her EP was released with similar fanfare. In 2020, she said... I was trying so hard to fit into the stereotype of what country music is that I forgot why I fell in love with country music. Yeah. And so after that, she started, I would take crassly give fewer fucks and started to write music that felt personal to her Enter the song black like me with the lyrics. It's a hard life on easy street, just white painted picket fences. Far as you can see, if you think we live in the land of the free, you should try to be black like me. And so she had actually planned to roll this song out with promotion for her new album. But when George Floyd was murdered last year, she put out the song for free on Instagram, causing Spotify to reach out to her for the rights. And this was also her eventual Grammy nod. And it's clear that Mickey, simply by existing, is changing the country landscape. But that's a lot of pressure to put on one single person. So we're not doing that on Mickey. She's doing a great job. And Mickey's career and success 
should signal to country music producers that there is in fact space for black women in this genre. I listened to an amazing interview with Mickey on switched on pop. This was like, I guess probably in the fall of 2020. Um, Unsurprisingly, they're always interviewing artists right before they get huge. So shout out to them. I remember listening to like Lizzo a million years ago, Rina Sawayama, switch on pop always, always knows who's who's, um, getting big. And something like, I think we mentioned, but I feel like it's just worth being really clear about is that Mickey's voice is just so beautiful. Like it's such a beautiful voice. And I really, um, I would like to take a second to overthink her recent song. Um, I like her newer, newish song, Rosé, um, as a cute, I think, addendum to the country music genre about alcohol, specifically tequila and whiskey. It's also, it's another one of those country songs about country music, which I find like really fun, like Girl in the Country song. Um, And I find it really smart. Like it's really, really smart in most ways. It's a song about Rosé. It's really apolitical, really non-controversial. It's easy listening. It's super basic. I mean, it's a song about Rosé. Like you can't, you really can't get more basic than that. It's like meant for playing in the car, not thinking about it too hard, you know, not missing a beat in your life. But in other ways, it's this like subtle, she's doing this subtle thing of making a song about country music inserting yourself expertly into the tropes and conventions of the genre and then saying hey here's my take on this it's a little different than yours and that's okay and keeping it about alcohol i just find so interesting so the lyrics um in the like the song opens and she says everybody's singing about whiskey everybody's talking about tequila moonshine dripping in the moonlight lips tasting like sangria there's always a time for strawberry wine but it ain't that time right now don't buy me a beer when i'm sitting here give me something that's sweet going down and then it goes to the chorus which is rosé all day so she's like she's making it very clear that she knows country music she knows all these songs she knows strawberry wine she like she's here for it um but she's going to insert herself she's going to put her own perspective so I might be reading too much into a song about Rosé, but, you know, what is this podcast for if not overthinking about song lyrics? That's really what it's for and reading them on the air. Um, I I don't I could be wrong, too, as a as also a chronic overthinker, but I don't think you're overthinking it. So take that with a grain of salt, really. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's subversive in all the ways you're talking about I mean there's this like intervention of uh like a woman having a drinking song which is very rare um and also I mean she's also subversive in that like oh there are a lot of country artists who don't like songs like that or group songs about alcohol with songs about trucks which they even like Scotty McCreary is like, if I hear another song about a truck, like I never need to hear one again. Um, so there's that. And, and yeah, she's, she's amazing. And um, going back to what we mentioned above when she said that she sort of like forgot what she loved about country music in the first place. Um, that was around last summer, summer 2020, when she had an interview with Variety and it touched on a lot of her experiences. Um, and, and what we've talked about above 
So she basically talked about feeling silenced for a long time and fear around releasing that song. And she connected, even though it's different, she connected worries about releasing Black Like Me with um, the backlash that the chicks received back in the day. Um, And then regarding that song and one she also released last year, I think in February, What Are You Gonna Tell Her?, which also addresses systemic oppression in a different way. She said, to be frank, I was inspired by pop music and how honest they have been recently in their music. I had forgotten that feeling because that's what made me love country music because they sang real songs and was why I wanted to be a part of this genre. Then something happened where everybody only wanted light and fluffy party songs. And it was really difficult for me to find my footing in that. So I just made my own footing which I think is just like really interesting in the context of this conversation and our podcast more broadly. Um, And I don't know, I would love to hear more from her um, about that. Yeah. I mean, something that we didn't bring about because there's only so many hours in the day and only so many hours in which you want to listen to us, but country is also going through a really big racial reckoning right now. Morgan Wallen uh, was supposed to go on Saturday night live and then he was caught and I put caught in, well, I shouldn't put the caught in prices. He was caught saying the N word and then apologized. I should put apologized in quotes because I truly believe he only apologized because he got caught. And so it's a really big moment in country music trying to deal with I think it's past and also now reckoning with like 2021 listeners and who should sort of like represent and be on the charts for city for country artists and I'm I'm happy to see people like Mickey and I hope that more see her and get air time and airplay because of how successful she is and can be and I hope she wins the Grammy not just getting nominated <laughs> I hope that she ends up winning um, uh, well, now we're going to sh- shift back to a white lady, uh, who is, you know, what can you do? Uh, but we love Marin Morris, at least I love Marin Morris. And you probably know Marin from one of her many, many crossover collabs, specifically in the middle, which played everywhere in 2018. And you were literally caught in the middle of that song. Anywhere you went, the grocery store, a bar, back to the grocery store, um, song was everywhere so Marin shockingly also from Texas uh got started making music at a young age she moved to Nashville in her late teen years where she released her own songs and wrote for other artists shout out she wrote piece by piece uh the Kelly Clarkson song uh which is just a fun fact because you could also include Kelly here but we didn't but I I love Kelly so true we kind of talked about Kelly I didn't think about that love Kelly um yeah, I feel like I my understanding about Maris is that uh, Marin is that she she really like is a songwriter almost first and foremost, which is just very cool. And it's why a lot of her music is so great. Um, so she released her first EP in 2015 and at that point just skyrocketed into fame with the single My Church, which I love that song. That is such a good song. And also it is one of those country songs about country music that I find so beautiful. She won a Grammy. She was one of the special guests on the reputation tour. Of course, 
Um, and since then, she released another album. And uh, through becoming friends with Taylor, she was featured as background vocals and background vocals only, disappointingly, on a Taylor song um, in this most recent era. Marin's music is soulful, much like Mickey's. Uh, her voice is full and it's warm. It's very different from Casey's and still keeps that Southern twang, especially in her earlier, earlier stuff. And her songs, yes, include a guitar, but they're not reliably acoustic like other contemporary country songs. She really is not afraid to incorporate pop beats and even some synth. She also explores how far she can push uh, the previous political expectations for country singers. There is, like in country music, inextricable from a lot of it, not all of it, is like a love of guns, part of the culture. And it's not explicit in a lot of cases, um, but there is an expectation that singers will either keep quiet about gun control or explicitly support it. Um, but not Marin. After the shooting in Las Vegas in 2017, which was horrifying at the music festival, and then the one shortly after in Thousand Oaks, California, Marin released a song called Dear Hate. And she performed it the day after the Vegas shooting and, you know, essentially pleading for peace and safety and as an extension of that gun control. Yeah. And in an Esquire interview, she notes the song isn't really enough because if you listen to that song, you're like, oh, like this is nice. Thanks. <laughs> um, isn't it enough? Isn't really going to change gun violence or culture. She says, I'm from Texas and I've grown up around guns. My whole family is always super safe with them, but as much fun as they are growing up, do they feel particularly safe around guns? No. Which is a pretty bold statement for someone from Texas and someone whose main audience is probably a lot of gun-loving people. And she's an advocate for common sense gun reform. And she says, I don't think anyone needs to own a semi-automatic or an automatic rifle. I mean, the second amendment was put in place when I, when it was like muskets, I don't think the forefathers were thinking about route 91 or bump stocks and shit, which is a pretty big and bold statement from Marin. I didn't really know how to end this. So if either of you guys have thoughts on how to wrap this up, but it was just a brief little thing on Marin, please feel free to interject. Muskets, baby. You know, you can't shoot them accurately. And that's why they're safe. That's a take. That is the take. I love that, Mimi. I feel like Marin of the people we've talked about is like her music really sounds like country music, but you also can, you also just know that it's country pop and you can tell it's a little sub- subversive and I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I really think that's because she does so many collabs. I think she does more collabs than like most people. And so she collabs a lot in like with pop, like typical pop stars. She's so good. She's so talented. She is. is. We love Marin. John Mayer, last train home. So good. Yeah, she does do that. She really is like so often featured or, or has people featured. Yeah, which is great. So... 
we talked about Casey. We talked about Mickey. We talked about Marin. Lastly, we asked you all, our lovely listeners, specifically the lovely listeners who follow us on Instagram. Um, we asked you all, what is one myth about country pop that you'd like to bust? And here are some of the things that you said. Okay, number one, it's not all bro country, misogyny, and nationalism. So true, as we've seen, although those are still forces to be reckoned with. Speaking of a force, of a force, number two, um, saying that something isn't country enough is just a way of keeping women and BIPOC out. So true. Thirdly, that it's all bros and beer. I wrote trust, but I think they trash in contemporary country. It's all trust. trust. It's all trust here. <laughs> it's yeah. all trust right. in contemporary. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next one we want to highlight is that someone said going country or pop means it's a lesser quality of both the artist's music and the genre. Nah. So true. Number five, that every woman is biding her time until she can cross over into pop. Yeah. Also not true because it's hard enough to get into a country, you know, it's, it's a commitment. And that's just like offensive and dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And belittling for both genres. And belittling people who like are, are ready to cross over into pop because that sounds fun to them. It's just, we don't like judgment. We don't need judgment. And lastly, that it's less authentic, which boo, boo. and that that's it. I mean, we hope we buzzed some of these myths today and introduced you to some new music. Also, I know there's probably a million peop- great people that I forgot or didn't mention or don't know about. So please write to us and tell us about some of your favorite country, country pop singers. Um, we're ready to dive in. So that's our show but it's not the end of the conversation. We can't wait to hear what you think. If you have a second or want to support us, please leave a review on iTunes or on your podcast app of choice. Till the next time we cut to the feeling, we say that in the recording, don't we? (laughs) We can say, we can say, we'll, we'll, we'll see you in the the middle. (laughs) We'll see you in the middle. I was going to do a Kelly. There's definitely a Kelly Clarkson one to do um, a moment like this. Till the next time we have a moment like this. That's beautiful. See you in some wide open spaces. Why don't you just meet me in the middle? Bye. That's going to stuck in my head for the rest of the fucking day. I know. It's 2018 all over again. again. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the B-Sides podcast. We want to connect with you. Check out the show notes to find our Instagram, Twitter, and join our Facebook group where you can link up with us and other progressives who love pop. Please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already, and consider supporting the B-Sides on Patreon. Until the next time we cut to the feeling, I'm Mimi. I'm Becky. I'm Hannah. 